Well, hello, hello, my ambitious friends, and welcome to 2000 Books, where we bring you the most important actionable ideas from the world's greatest books for ambitious entrepreneurs. And I'm your host and former computer engineer turned entrepreneur, Manny Laya. All right. Hello, everyone. Today, I am super excited. I've got one of the legends of direct response marketing, Brian Kurtz here, who literally helped build one of the biggest direct response publishing companies in the world. Boardroom, Brian, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Manny. I'm looking forward, I've been looking forward to this too, just because of what this, this uh, series that you're doing, you know, the idea of, you know, being able to get entrepreneur books for entrepreneurs, that entrepreneurs that will want to read or personal development books they want to read and don't have time to read. And not that my book is one that you know, needs to be summarized. It's not that long and it's not that deep, really. But I think that the concept of of being able to get the best out of each business book is something that I grew up with at, at my company boardroom uh, with its founder, Marty Edelston. So I had a I was really looking forward to this as well, because it it kind of it, it it identified a sweet spot for me, too. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. And as we were talking about it, uh, we're talking about like, and, and, and you talk about it in the book as well, like what Boardroom stood for in many ways is what 2000 books stands for. I've personally read over 1,500 business and self-help books. So I'm always interested in learning and growing and improving myself and figuring out different uh, new strategies and techniques and frameworks and all these things. And I feel like you and Marty and all the all the legends you had at boardroom, you guys built something amazing. So I want to, I want to preface this by asking you about over deliver and kind of take us back into time because over deliver for those of you who are listening, it's one of the best marketing books to have come out in the last few years. I love that book so much. Great direct response wisdom. Anyone who's building a business today, like you have to understand direct response marketing at the level that Brian talks about in the book. Um, and it's, it's, just just phenomenal. Cannot recommend it enough. So, with that said, uh, Brian, let's tell us uh, tell us your journey. Uh, start start where you want to start with boardroom, and tell us what led you to writing over deliver. It's probably a long journey, but let's go along with it. Yeah, it's forty years, so I got to <laughs> do that in about three minutes, I guess, or four minutes. But I, I mean, basically, I, I came out of college. I I you know fell into a job, a first job that wasn't in direct marketing. And there was a headhunter in New York that knew about this little company boardroom, this sleepy little newsletter company. This is 1981. And um, he said, I got to get you in there, Brian. The headhunter really liked me. Um, he had met me when I was in college. And he said, I got to get you in here. Marty Edelston is an amazing entrepreneur. He loves people like you who are you know, hungry for information and hungry. And I didn't even know what the business was. And he was telling me about it. So I got an interview there um, finally because this guy was supplying a lot of people to boardroom, and uh, the the job even it didn't really matter, you know, because I needed to. I, he basically said you got to get into this company, and he was right in retrospect. But the job, I mean, I, I was an English major in college, so you know, I, I wanted to write, I wanted to be a film critic, I wanted to, you know, I, I had no idea what I wanted to do, um, and the job happened to be in list management. And mailing lists in the direct mail uh, industry in the 1980s, list management was a big business. Now, normally, a company like Boardroom would not manage their list in-house. There were actually big list managers that would represent the lists in the marketplace. 
So it just so happened that because Boardroom was a newsletter publisher, they didn't have any advertising. It wasn't a magazine. It was a newsletter that the only way to reach the Boardroom audience, which were affluent executives and all of that, was through their mailing lists. So I didn't even know I was walking into this incredible opportunity. And here I thought I was going to be a clerk, you know, renting Boardroom's lists. And how big was Boardroom at the time? Like how many employees revenue? It was only about maybe 30 employees, maybe 25 employees, probably about a five to, it wasn't a $10 million business at the time. Hmm. Um, But it was, it was, it was exciting to be there because everybody did everything and all of that. And the, and, and the only way to reach the audience was through this list, you know, list department. So I didn't even realize that the, you know, what a mailing list was how people rented them. Um, and then when I realized, you know, over time, even in a couple of years, I realized that everybody wanted the boardroom lists. These were people who were subscribed to newsletters and bought business books and consumer books, uh, or at least health books and things like that. And they all were bought through direct mail. And I learned that the idea of a response list versus somebody who responds to something or buys something uh, is much more valuable than someone who's in the phone book and you put data on them. That's a compiled list. So here I'm sitting on this incredible response list and everybody used it like from, from, you know, money magazine to consumer reports to uh, fundraisers, the so national this Republic- was boardrooms own list, own that list was renting it to the outside or rented to the outside world. And, but Marty or what he started in 71. Yes. So over the period of 10 years before you joined, he had built that list out to how big was it? Like, Well, it wasn't that big when I got there, but it was big enough to sell because, you know, it was, as I said, they're very responsive people. So mm-hmm. um, I guess we had about maybe 300,000 names, direct mm-hmm. mail names. And, and again, these this are all is so different. Or all buyers and all subscribers. Buyers paid buyers and subscribers. This is not like an email list. Mm. You know, when, 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 you know, the, the people who are listening to this, who are all digital, mm-hmm. they don't, they won't get this probably that, you know, and also they won't get the fact that we actually ship the names out to the mailer and they mailed them where I wasn't endorsing it. I wasn't, you know, that everything in, in email is either an endorsed mailing an affiliate or, mm. you know, you're mm-hmm. controlling the mailing. No, you, you had, a, there was a lot of trust involved, but you, that's why you decoyed the list. I don't want to do a whole seminar. Sure, on sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So, but so, I, I, the, the journey started there. And then, you know, what happened was learning the direct marketing business from the list side, which is the audience side, which is the people side, which is the demographics and psychographic side of buyers. That I think I didn't even realize it while it was happening. But that was the best training I could have ever dreamed of in any situation. Because then when I started getting into the marketing side of the business, I knew I knew audiences. I knew how to do list segmentation. I knew how to do all the things that were critically important beyond offers and, and products and the copywriting and creative. All important. But the most important thing is the list. Mm-hmm. And in, in my book, Over Deliver, in my chapter on list, which is chapter four, I, I call it, you know, lists and RFM. But mm-hmm. I, I think one of the th- concepts I have in there is the 413920 rule, which is not, you know, th- th- there was a, there was a, um, 
so everything I, to answer your question, everything I did leading up to Over Deliver contributed to Over Deliver, the book, mm-hmm. because my whole career is in that book. Not stuff I invented, but stuff I applied in the real world to Boardroom's business. And Boardroom's business went from, you know, 5 million or whatever in 81 to as high as 160 million in the mid 2000s when we got into infomercials and multi-channel marketing. So, yeah. you know, it was a really great journey and a great ride. But I think the, the so the, going back to the why the list was so important and why it was so advantageous that I came out of that area is that the 40-40-20 rule was kind of like a general rule of thumb and direct marketing. So for those people who don't know the 40-40-20, let's give them- Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. So, so it says that, so in any direct marketing campaign, the, the theory is, and it, the numbers are close, but they don't have to be exact, but that they say that the 40% of the success of the campaign will depend on the list, 40% will depend on the offer, and 20% will, de- will, will depend on the creative or the messaging. Now, that sounds like the messaging or the creative is half as important as the offer or the list. Not so. And what I realized over time was that I, I realized that the, the creative, the copywriting and, and the messaging is the least important until it's not. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is that you've got to get the list right first. If Look at it this way. If you have a list of customers, buyers, whatever, and you're going out with a new offer and you have the perfect audience for that offer, your creative can be really mediocre and you'll still get some orders. Mm-hmm. You won't get as many if the creative is better, but you'll get some orders. The reverse is not true. The reverse says if the list is crap and you have the best creative that you could ever get, you're going to get zero orders. Mm-hmm. So that's just showing the two extremes. So the key is that you got to get the list right first. Then you get the offer, the product that you want to sell to the list because you don't necessarily start with a product. You look at the marketplace and you see, and this goes back to Gene Schwartz and Breakthrough Advertising, greatest book ever written on this topic. And you have different levels of sophistication of, of your audience. And if you have a, a, an audience that knows nothing about you, you have to, you have to tell a story. You have to be able to get there. But if you have an audience that is perfectly suited, now you take that, you have, a, then you bring the product in, you tweak the product to fit the audience, what they, not, what, not what you want to sell them, what they want. And then you get the world-class creative that takes it all. And that's, that's direct marketing nirvana. So, the four, so I, I called it the 41-39-20 rule and over-deliver because I wanted people to understand that the list is clearly the most important and the creative is not the least important. It's the least important when you're starting, but then it becomes the most important. Yeah, so, so it's a three-legged stool, basically. It's a three-legged stool, and most people say 40-40-20, it's the list, the offer, and then the creative. But what we're saying, what you're saying, it's 41 list, 39 offer, and 20 creative. And I want to correlate this to what we see currently in a lot of our Facebook advertising campaign. One of the packages we sell is the summaries of the 50 best business books for entrepreneurs. And so I'm sure this is, this sounds very similar, very familiar to what boardroom did back in the day. So we sell our offer to our entrepreneur, like to the audiences. What we see all the time is the audience is like such a crucial component of this whole game that if we, if we just 
screw up the audience just a little bit and Facebook does its own thing. And I come back the next day and it's wasted another $500 without me even knowing that it's like, it's just running off into the weeds, trying to find an audience that just is not going to buy. It's not the right audience. And that was, I I was on a podcast once and, and the guy was really interested in the concept of regression modeling, which is something I did a lot of at boardroom in direct mail, a regression model is where you go out to a big audience of potential buyers or, or, or subscribers and you, you pluck an nth name out of it. You pluck a cross section out of it mm-hmm. that is not necessarily going to make you money, but it'll tell the people that respond to the offer are, are indicative of the type of people that you want to go after in the universe. So mm-hmm. then when you get that, if, and this is with your house style. So uh, this is a, a list that we had, we had a 9 million name database. You couldn't mail the 9 million across the board. We had to narrow it down by some criteria in terms of recency and frequency and how much they spent with us. So that once we got down to a 2 million name universe, you go into the 2 million name universe, you get responses from that 2 million, and then you match those characteristics because we had data on all 9 million people. So now you match them and that's how you go out and get more names like the ones that responded. And that's where you get, well, it gets complicated, but this podcast host wanted me to go down this, this rabbit hole. That wasn't even a rabbit hole. It was just a tunnel of regression modeling. And I, you know, he wanted it. So I gave it to him and I've already gone too deep here probably for the, for the listeners. But the point I wanted to make when you mentioned Facebook is that it turned into the fact. So then, so, but Facebook, if you do a model on Facebook, it's called a lookalike model. Where you can look and, and those work and, and they're 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 good, but that gives you at least an indication of someone who might respond to your offer on Facebook. And so this podcast guy puts the interview with me up on Facebook and it was and then I, I saw a lot of comments. And one of the comments was from some guy, a, a, a kind of a, a guy who's been in digital marketing probably for 10 years, and he says, Wow, great interview with Brian Kurtz. Mind blown. I thought Facebook invented modeling regression mm-hmm. mo- lookalike models. Huh. He wasn't even listening to the interview because I was talking about regression modeling, which is not a lookalike model. It's a mm-hmm. model based on response. A lookalike model is a poor man's regression model. But the whole point is Facebook didn't invent this. Mm-hmm. And Facebook is a great, I mean, Facebook, everybody's on Facebook. So it's a great big universe, but just like the phone book was a great big universe in my day. And you can't mail the phone book. So the, the point is that the list segmentation and which you already identified was the most important thing to, to create your, to create an offer that's going to work on Facebook. You've got to be so dialed in on that list segmentation. And what happens is all roads lead, all, all the roads lead in the same direction. Because if you get that segmentation down and you have a copywriter, a world class copywriter, and we work with all the best, which was one of the privileges of my life. I've worked with every great, I'm not bragging, but I've worked with every great copywriter of the last 50 years. Thank God. I mean, that they work with me was great. I mean, I was privileged to be with them. But when I could give them a list of segmented names for the product that they were writing for, I'm not saying their job was easy, but their job was easy to get some response. And because they were world-class copywriters, they got more response than I ever could have dreamed of. And they made more money than any employee in the company because we pay them royalties. 
So, you know, that that was just um, uh, the adventure at boardroom in the world of especially in the world of copywriting um, was just it was it was it was amazing. And the link and when that I came out of the list business, that was really the key part of the journey. So when when I wrote over deliver, you know, chapter three, before I started getting into a lot of stuff, the title of chapter three is how paying postage made me a better marketer. Mm-hmm. And it's not a it's not a chapter that says everybody should do direct mail, forget digital, forget Facebook. No, of course not. You know, this this Internet thing is going to catch on. Yes, I understand. <laughs> I'm not a Luddite. I'm not anti-technology. I'm not anti. I, I, I think email is is the killer app in marketing today. Mm-hmm. However, I do think that what the point I was making there and it was an important chapter to write was that the the um, the discipline that we had to have in direct mail that is not evident in all digital marketing today and email marketing and Facebook marketing because you're spending a lot less for the media than we spend for lists. And by the way, you don't have printing and postage. Mm-hmm. You know, printing and postage was a game changer for us. We, we didn't think it was. A, it was a game changer for everybody else when they went to email, when they didn't have to pay it. But we had to pay it. So anytime, you know, the idea of hitting send on an email and if no one responds, it's okay because you didn't lose any money. Well, I disagree. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't right. lose cash immediately, but you lose cash long term because who are they going to open the next email if you you're lose so equity. off base? Yeah. Right. So that's the discipline that we learned in direct mail. Everything had to be so targeted. Everything. I mean, look, and even then we get two percent response rates. So yeah. 98% didn't respond and, th- and that would make us a lot of money. Yeah. But even with all the segmentation and all the credit screening and all the merge purge of all the lists that we did, we still got, you know, two to 4% response rates. So but, I want to talk, I want to talk about something uh, like I want to take us back again. By the way, do you have earphones you could plug in potentially? No. Because we might be getting an echo back, but it's fine. No okay. big deal. Um, um, when we when you were talking about the early stages of your testing, right? Maybe you had a database of ten million people, but you were only going to mail it out to three million or two hundred thousand or something like that. And this is kind of what we're do, like what we do with Facebook advertising today, in the sense there there's a broad swath, like broad base of audience that would potentially buy our product, but initially we have to go down a narrow path to finding that audience that will buy, which might be a combination of certain factors that we believe are the right factors for that audience to buy right. from us. And when we, when we start finding that audience and Facebook starts to deliver on that and like it's, it's at a good enough price point, the more the pixels, like the more we are able to sell to that specific audience again and again, the more Facebook learns overall about all of the audiences that can, can potentially sell to. But the point being, I, I see a lot of times people will come in and they'll be like, okay, I'm running ads and, and they're running to such a broad audience that they have no chance of initially getting the traction that they need. The requirement for the algorithm is initially you need to narrow down to the best possible list that you can think of. As you said, the 41, 39, 20, the list is the key here. In this case, it's Facebook's list, but we have to narrow down to that precise list that we think will respond to this offer and copy. And only when we get that right, only when we are 
getting that really, really dialed down, can we start increasing that audience or start increasing exactly. budgets or start going wider? And that's the calculation you guys did back in the day with your regression analysis and regression techniques that you guys were doing. Yeah, you always um, have to go narrow before you go wide. I mean, it's it's silly to start wide because, you know, you don't know what criteria are working. So, you know, that that that's a basic tenet of list selection and direct mail. It's also when you pyramid from, you know, in direct mail, when you go from 5,000 names and it works, you don't go out to 500,000 names. You go to 25,000 and then to 100,000. It was expensive. You know, it was, you know, you had postage and printing, but that discipline should be applied to all media today. And, and the beauty of, of like, when you, when you go out to a, to a a large, a, a, a Facebook audience, and you, you think, oh, I don't want, I, I don't want that narrow, uh, a, a, a swath of, of, of the audience. I want to get, I want to get everybody. Mm-hmm. And that is just that, that, that could be your death knell because mm-hmm. you've got a, you know, the idea. I'll give you a good example. So when we were launching a book or a newsletter, we did a lot of research to our house file, the, the, the 10 million names or some swath of our, a small universe to figure out what the next product will be to sell. They were called concept tests or questionnaire tests. But we had a book that we knew we were going to sell. And we would go out to a list broker to get list recommendations. And we required them, they had to send us a notebook of all, these are all response lists. So these are expensive lists of, you know, other magazines, other newsletters, other book buyers, all of that. And they would have to give us a book of all the lists they were recommending and they had to do it primary, secondary, and tertiary, and or A, Bs, and Cs. And the key was that, you know, we're never going to go see the, we're not even going to look at the Bs and Cs. We're just going to take the top of the As. So you say, oh, you're stacking the test because you're only going to go to the best names. Yeah, we're stacking the test to go to the best names. Because then if those don't work and, and the list broker knows what they're doing and we know what we're doing in terms of those being the best names, you probably can walk away from the product almost because the universe isn't there. Why I, why I wanted them to do A's, B's, and C's was because I had had a lot of experience in the list business and I kind of knew where the bodies were buried or the bodies were alive, basically. So I knew the best names. So I could tell because I knew my product very well. I knew the copywriter who was going to be writing for the product. I could look at their A's, B's, and C's and I could see that they didn't get, they didn't get it right. There were a couple of B's that should have been A's, a couple of A's that should have been C's. And so I, I mean, it wasn't even my job. It was the list broker's job to do that. But I wanted to see how they were thinking, mm-hmm. just like I want to see how the copywriters are thinking, just like mm-hmm. you want to see how your new product development people are thinking. So, you know, lists are just like anything else. Lists can be, list brokerage can be seen as a, commod- a commoditized industry. Everybody has access to the same list that they recommend to, to the mailers, but it's not because you have to be very specialized. And then within the lists, they had to tell us what the selection would be. You know, would it be a hotline or, or an active subscriber hotline being last mm. three month buyers, or would it be, you know, buyers and, and prospects, or would it be just the paid buyers as opposed to, you know, X buyer? I mean, there were so many different selections and you had to know what you were doing. And because we were a mailer, a marketer who knew what they were doing, we could question the list brokers and get into good dialogue to get the best list because it was always about getting the best list to mail. 
because yeah. every name was costly if it didn't yeah. work. And you said uh, one of the ways to identify the best list or one of the ways to really go down this journey is what you call RFM. Yeah, so let's talk about that because that's such an important yeah, I mean, component. It's, of- it's not even it's not even a it's not even a a buzzword for direct marketers per se, although that's where it's it shows up. But it's 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 actually it, it it's actually a a rule of thumb as to how people behave in the marketplace. It mm-hmm. really is, and it it's fu- it's fundamental to any marketing you do, whether direct mail, Facebook email, everything. So RFM stands for recency, frequency, and monetary value. So recency means that they are, that the premise is that anybody who bought something more recently is more valuable than someone who bought something less recently. So someone who bought something in the last month is worth more than someone who bought something in the last three months, who's worth more than someone who bought something in the last six months or a year. So I, that was a concept that I didn't even get when I, I was, I was 23 years old and they're telling me this concept and I'm like, doesn't make sense. If I just bought something, I don't have, I have less money. How can I buy something else? Mm. Well, any marketer listening to this knows that how, how naive I was because what are upsells? What are pop-ups? What are, what are cross sells on the telephone? What are, you know, selling the, the insurance plan on your iPhone? It's all about, the recent buyer, it's that they're putting out money and now they can put out more money. But it's, 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 it's much more in-depth than that than just selling as much as you can, as quick as you can, because then you add recency to frequency. So someone who bought in the last um, three months, who also bought a year ago, and now they're a multi-buyer, they bought twice, that name is worth so much more than someone who just was... A, just bought in the last three months. Mm. So you add, you, you put those two together and now you're talking about a powerhouse, uh, a powerhouse name. And then if it's a, especially if it's a high ticket item um, or maybe a bunch of low ticket items, but the M is for monetary value. So how much did they, what was the total spend of that customer? Now, going back to that regression modeling thing I did, we were doing this regression modeling all on a statistical basis I was not doing it. I was an English major in college. I had a statistician who was a PhD that was doing the models for me. But I knew that once we got the nth of the, of, of the broad cross-section, we did the analysis of the names we were going back out to. Once we knew the characteristics, what were the characteristics? It was all RFM. Mm. The most recent, the most frequent, and the most spent, the people who spent the most were always at the top of what we call the gains chart which are the names most likely to respond to the offer. And we used to have, and that's, that's what part of regression modeling is you create this gains chart where you split the entire universe you're going to mail into 5% increments. They're called demideciles. So mm. 5% all the way down, 20 demideciles. And because you know the response rates of the original names you mailed, and now you know the names that you're going to mail with the similar characteristics we actually knew exactly what the cutoff was. Like we knew that the top three deciles were going to get above a 2% response. I'm, I'm running numbers here. And mm-hmm. then the, the fourth demi decile might get it, but we're not going to take as many names from that one because it's on the cusp. And then the fifth, sixth, and seventh, you would take test quantities and you would see, you know, which names, you know, if you, and you, the gains charts were not 
foolproof, but they were pretty solid. I mean, this, this worked, this worked yeah. big time. And so I, 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 I marveled at it because I was not a math guy. I was not a statistics guy, but once I had this tool in my hand, you know, a gains chart and the predictability of response rates. I mean, anybody can be a great marketer when you got that. And it, it, it was just, I, I can't tell you how much fun it was, how enjoyable it was, um, mm-hmm. and how profitable it was. Yeah. I mean, uh, to talk to, to talk about the demi deciles, you're talking about the 5% increments. Today, Facebook gives you this opportunity to have your lookalike audiences to whatever audience you want at zero to 1%, one to 2%, two to 3%, three to 4%. Of course, like there's the same, uh, similar ideologies, similar principles at play here. Unfortunately, where- the, the data is not as solid in Facebook because it's a lookalike model, but the concept is exactly right. But I, I would also encourage anybody doing that on Facebook. Don't get greedy right away. You know, you, you look at the universe and you go, wow, I can get to, you know, a million five names if I go down, you know, 10%, even though I should maybe only do one or 2%. Start slow, you know, be patient. You don't have to be patient forever. I mean, I was, you know, when you, that's another thing, you know, direct people who are in direct mail know how to be patient. You had to be. Because if you're doing a, a bill me offer where you're not getting paid right away on your offer, you might wait 12 weeks when you do a mailing until you know your results. I mean, that's that that's way too painful for any digital marketer to even comprehend. Yes. Talk to me about the patience part, because I've been there and I have screwed it up royally. Like, uh, let's say we're running some Facebook ad campaign. It's doing very well. I'll be like, all right, let's go hard. Let's 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 bump up the budget. Let's get more audiences. And before you know it, a week later, we're losing money. And I'm like, what right. happened here? You got so, it. But it's the same principle. Going back to direct mail. What mm-hmm. we did, you have to titrate it. You have to, you know, 5,000 to 25,000 to 100,000 to 200,000. That's how we would mail a list. And so the same principle is in place in any media. And so just just adjust it to what you need to do. And if face, I don't know if Facebook gives you like project, projected response rates in different percentages, but I don't think they give you that precise not, on that. No, no, not right now, but maybe they will over time. They're right. But I think well. that you yeah. always, and the thing is, when I say be patient, I'm not saying wait forever. I'm not saying, you know, don't be a, don't be an aggressive marketer. That's not the same thing. Being patient is just being smart. Mm. So, so tell me how you guys were doing that back in the day and how we can maybe cor- correlate it to what we're doing today. Let's say you were doing their demi deciles, uh, as you say. So you get, you wait for the data from zero to 5% and you say, okay, well, this is where we are at. Now we should mail out to the five to 10%. Uh, to to get uh, and hopefully get this kind of numbers. And only when we get that should we mail out to 10 to 15%, so on and yeah, so forth. I'll give you an example that's just in my little business, which, but it, it'll, it'll tell you that I, I, I apply this everywhere. So I, I sell breakthrough advertising, mm-hmm. which is Gene Schwartz's classic book. I have the rights to it with his, with Gene's wife. Amazing book. One of the best mm-hmm. books ever written on copy, on creative, and also on human behavior um, in the marketplace not just RFM, but everything. And so um, I wanted to do a campaign. I wanted to do an email campaign to mail out to people who bought Breakthrough Advertising from me. Um, and I want to sell, I'm going to sell them a boot camp 
on a breakthrough, not a course, but like a 10 week boot camp on applying the principles of breakthrough advertising to your product, to your service, whatever your business is. So I know they have the book already. So it's a mm-hmm. perfect audience, right? They might not have read it yet. It's a very dense read. So it I'm going to help them go through it with this boot camp. Sure. And so how do I mail? So I have, I have seven years of buyers of breakthrough advertising. And I just came up with this idea. How am I going to mail, email those breakthrough advertising names? Well, first of all, my first universe are going to be the buyers who bought in the last three months. And those people are going to get a, a, a different kind of email because you can then with email is great because you can you can you can position your message to the list. So I'm even going to say in the email to those people, I know you probably you probably you may not even open the book yet, but here's your opportunity and you know the boot camp. So it'll, it'll tie into the boot camp, but it'll tie into their experience with the book so far since they only have it for for three months or less. Then I'm going to go back to the three months beyond. So I'll probably do two at the same time. I'll do the I'll do the last three months and I'll do the four to six months, and then I'll compare the results. So it's not going to cost me that much. Email is not that expensive. I'm not going to lose my shirt on it. It's, and so and then with the four to six month, I'll do a little bit different messaging. Whereas you know you you know I know you bought breakthrough advertising. You know uh, any uh, you know any uh, six months ago. Um, I hope that you got through the book. So again, a little different messaging, but then I'm going to do the same sales message. And what I'll do is I'll compare those two universes of the zero to three month and four to six month, and I'll see how they each did. And then if, if, if it goes the way I think it's going to go, the zero to three month will be much more responsive than the four to six month. I, I then I'll know by how much. And then, of course, I'm going to go to the six to 12 month buyers, got a big chunk of those. And I don't want to waste those names, but I'm going to. And if, if I think that the fall off from zero to three to four to six was way more, I might not even do six to 12. Then I'll do six to nine. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to because I don't want to I don't want to go out with an offer that's totally not not applicable. But again, in email, it's so much it's so much there's so much less risk. It does. Now, it in is. Facebook, you can't do that because you are paying for the for the media. What I'm paying for here is, you know. Peanuts. You know, email blasts. So you're just paying for list equity, and that's the important. Exactly, thing. exactly. And you know what? I but you know what? I, I'm not taking big chances because they all bought the book. I'm talking to them as my buyer. They're all on my list then because mm-hmm. I blog every week. They're on my list, so I can say to them, you know, as a family member, I and a buyer of breakthrough advertising. So I've got the whole thing set up creatively, so my equity, my list equity is not going to get blown out of the water either. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not beating them over the head. You got to be in this boot camp. You got to be in this boot camp. That's right. not the sales approach. And so with the sales approach being congruent with the list and my, and I love that the, the list equity. I, I love that. Thank you. Yeah. No, you, you um, talked about it. And I actually told one of my, one of the members in my mastermind, cause he was sending offers, uh, different kinds of offers to his list every few weeks. And so I was like, dude, you need to read over deliver because this, there is an important message. And there was a lot of stuff that we ta- ended up talking about. But one of the most important things he was like, yeah, man, I think he's right about not sending so many different kinds of offers because we're burning the list out, uh, you know, or abusing the list equity. And that's, I got to tell you though, thing. you know, 
I never like to tell people what to do and that this way is better than that way. There are people in, in the digital marketing space that I think can get away with selling, you know, every week something else because that list has been trained for that and everybody knows who they are. Like now I'm, I, I position myself as the director of sales prevention as mm. kind of a joke, but you know, cause I, I'm not a nonprofit. I'm looking to sell, sell books. I'm looking to sell masterminds. I'm looking to sell courses. I'm looking to sell everything I have, but I, again, I'm patient, you know, it's, I, I call it, you know, Dean Jackson, a great marketer says fishing without bait. Mm. And that's what I do. So fishing without bait, the, 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 anal- so, so the image is, you're on a lake, you're in a rowboat, right? In the middle of the lake, the fish are swimming all around you. That's your list or your prospects or your buyers. And, you know, most people will take the fishing rod, put a nice piece of juicy bait on the hook. You throw it in the water, you get a fish on the hook, you bring it into the boat, and then you get them into a funnel, right? And you start selling them and selling them and selling them. Mm-hmm. The, 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 what I do, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it's an approach that can be very, very valuable to develop list equity is that I, I don't, I, my, my, my fishing rod is not even in the boat with me. I have a mm. spotlight and it's a, it's a big spotlight and I'm shining the spotlight over the lake all the time. And that's mm. my content. That's mm-hmm. my, my value creation. That's my free stuff. Cause mm-hmm. if you have good free stuff, you always find more good free stuff. Give away your best stuff. That's the beauty of email. Couldn't right. do it in direct mail. You can do mm-hmm. it in email. So I have this spotlight and I'm just flashing it over the lake. And you know what? The, the key, what happens is eventually some people will never respond, never jump in the boat. But the ones that just jump in the boat on their own, they'll be customers for life. Mm-hmm. In, in, in Not every one of them, but they're going to be more valuable customers because there'll be subtle hooks. So there's a spotlight, but there's a little infrared on the spotlight that gives them an indication that there's an offer here somewhere, mm. you know, and that I'm, ta- I'm teaching them something and that teaching is in this book. And if you jump in my boat, you can hear about the book. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to buy it. I'll give you a link to buy it. You know, there are different ways to sell and I consider myself a really, I mean, I always make the joke that I'm the director of sales prevention, but I'm not because I've sold a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's not just what I did at Boardroom, which was a lot more direct mail, a lot more direct selling. You couldn't, you had to fish with with bait. You had to have, um, not funnel necessarily. I didn't have the word funnel at my disposal, but we were, you know, cross-selling and upselling all of our products. Mm -hmm. And you know, so how was that? Like, I, w- I wanted to get into a little bit more of the nuts and bolts of boardroom because what you guys were doing there was phenomenal uh, in terms of like uh, getting people to buy your front end product, become subscribers and subscribers for long periods of time while you're selling other things. And there's this, I think, uh, when was it Eugene Schwartz who was interviewing Marty to talk about like, what is it that we're selling? And he finally kind of got it down to 300 books Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That was Boardroom Reports, right. Boardroom right. Reports. So a lot of different products you guys were selling. And how do you structure those different things? Because sometimes we struggle with that as well, because so many different kinds of book summaries and angles and packages and things like that. I'm like, I don't want to burn out the list. How do you guys do this? You know, I'll take, I'll take what we did at Boardroom and apply it to today. How's that? Mm-hmm. So it's basically, 
the real deep, dark secret, you give it away. Mm. And the reason, and when you say I give it away, it's like I gave it away and I had to pay to give it away. Today in, in, in the online world, you can give it away and not have to pay. And what I mean by that in direct mail with, with like a subscription to bottom line personal, which was our big newsletter, got yeah. to a million subscribers. And we weren't, you know, we weren't going to tr- send out a, a, a direct mail package, which was expensive and try to get money for the subscription up front. It was a bill me offer, a real bill me offer. Whereas you get six free issues. Um, uh, you don't have to pay for it right away. Um, and we, you, you get into a billing series and basically it's a big try it before you buy it. And six free issues was a lot of content. So the idea six was months that, or six free issues. Up uh, it was actually twice a month. So it was three months, six issues for free, for free. Absolutely. But we start billing them during while they're getting the issues. So you get a sense of, you know, where they're at, um, in terms of, are they, is the newsletter. Um, when do you start getting them after week one, after week two, after week four, when is it? There were very, billing is a very strategic science that hmm. you don't just, it's not just every, every product was different, but the timing is such that um, we, the, the idea was that you get six free issues. I think actually the first bill arriving before the first issue ended up being the control and we tested it. Um, and you'd say, well, that doesn't make sense. You gave them free six free issues and they get the bill before they get their first of the six free issues. It, that's what worked hmm. now because we got enough pay up on that first bill because they probably knew they were going to the people who knew they wanted it were going to buy it anyway. But then hmm. then then you would you would stagger the bills throughout the, the six free issues. But it was different for every product because you tested Just like you test in direct mail, like you test in email, like you, you test in billing series. But the key here was that we, we basically wanted people to try it before they bought it because the key to the business was the renewal. So once the people got, think about it, you get six free issues, then you pay for it for a year. And then the renewal comes in. You're going to be much more, you're going to be much more willing or you're going to be much more targeted, I'll say, to renew because you already were, were, were sold on it big time when you paid for it the first time. The mm-hmm. alternative, and most digital marketers don't understand Bill Me the way the direct mail folks do, is that when you sell something without them seeing it and they have to put a credit card up front, sometimes you have to, but you don't have to on a digital product necessarily, but they have to put the credit card up front. That's why you get high return rates. That's why, because when, when, when you have to have a good match of the promotion to the product, if we got like terrible pay up from a, a bill me offer to bottom line, and we got terrible pay up after we gave them six free issues, we knew that there was a mismatch of the promotion to the product. One situation was, um, a, a survey package that was our promotion. And it was kind of a gimmick. It was like, you, we want your help in, in, in bo- at bottom line. And we asked them a question or something. And then when they answered the question, it got them the six free issues. It was clear, but not as clear as saying, you're going to get six free issues, right? Mm. It was like, you're going to help us with the survey. And 
for that, we're going to give you six free issues. Uh-huh. So we send them the issues, but it wasn't like a, it wasn't long copy in, in, in the survey package. And I, I, I've written about this. In they my felt blog, like I, they earned it. Right. They, they just sort of was an impulse buy. And whereas if, if you just send them, if, but then again, if you send them a book log, which was another promotion that we did, 64 pages, that was the promotion. So imagine getting a survey package, which is a thin little number 10 envelope saying, fill out the survey, we'll give you six free issues, as opposed to giving them a 64-page book log with all sorts of stuff that's been in the newsletter that has premiums all over it, you know, bonuses. And then we say, you want six free issues. And we had to spend a lot more money for the 64 pages, of course. What do you think the results were? I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the general results. Okay. So the results of the survey package would be like 4% front end uh, with like a 15% payup. Okay. The bookalog would get you 2.5% front end with like a 48% payup because wow. they were sold on the product so well. Hmm. And I, I, read, I wrote a blog post about this and it's in, it's in Overdeliver. It's in my book. Mm-hmm. It's, it, and the concept is how you sell is how they respond. How you sell is how they respond. It's true in all online media today. If the, if the promotion, that's why video sales letters got so popular with high end financial newsletters. There was mm-hmm. a big story to tell there. Just like in, in direct mail with us, we had these bagalogs and bookalogs, which were 32 page promotions to sell the newsletter. So a video sales letter, 30 minute, I mean, there were 45 minute and an hour long video sales letters selling these high price financial newsletters and mm. they beat the pants off a, a, a five minute video to sell it because you've gotten them inside the mind of the guru or inside the mind of the person writing this newsletter or product mm-hmm. or, or, and these are stock advisories. These are expensive products. So it's not that long copy beat short. It's much more in depth than that. It's the kind of long copy for the appropriate product. And I just wrote another uh, blog post recently, and I think it might be in, in over deliver as well, but it's, it's about the fact that, you know, when you, uh, it, if you have, if you know what your product, if your product is not known to people, you know, people say you can't sell to cold traffic. Well, if you're going to sell to cold traffic, you got to give away some of the, st- some of the, some of the state. You got to mm-hmm. tell a story. You've got to engage them at a very deep level as opposed to just banging them with an offer mm-hmm. for something that they don't know what it is. I mean, it's just logical. I mean, I'm not saying anything that people listening to this don't know. But there's a logic to it, and it's and you have to look at every situation, the, the offer, how well it's known, and that goes back to what's in breakthrough advertising with Gene Schwartz. The mm-hmm. state of awareness of your audience will determine what kind of advertising and promotion you should send to them, and it's always and it's always looking ahead. I always say that when you market to cold traffic, think about the second order. May, and hopefully the second one. So if you're going out to the cold traffic with, with an offer, think about if they, if they respond, hmm. what do you have in line to sell them? And is it congruent with the first offer and the promotion mm-hmm. as opposed to hitting them with a, um, a, a gimmicky, um, splashy ad that has less to do with the product and even more or less to do with what you're ultimately going to sell them further down in the funnel. 
if you can have the whole thing mapped out in your head, at least, you know, at least one order past the first one, but maybe even the second or third, now you go back to the original promotion and you keep that second and third order and offer in mind, not you're not that you're selling them a second or third offer. You're selling them one offer, but you can think about it because now you're going to get a lifetime customer. And that's where it's all about. And you saw in over deliver when I talked about the bogey, which was a, a, a calculation that we did, which is how much could we lose on the first order to make it back at some point in the future that was acceptable to us. Mm-hmm. That's different for every company. Right. And depends that's on cash flow. Depends on, you know, we, when we did it first, it was only, we had to make the money back within six months. Then it was yeah. a year. Once we had a lot of money in the bank, we could wait two or three years. So we would, we would take a beating on the first offer, on the first order, as long as we knew the renewal rates that we had calculated based on our experience with the promotions and the billing and the renewal, renewal series, we knew the numbers. So we knew the money was coming back to us guaranteed, but we also knew we had enough cash to cover it. Yeah. So this is like an iterative uh, problem. Someone who's in the early phase of building the business that they have to go through, right? You start with cold advertising, you, you figure out how much you can afford to pay. And then you say, okay, um, with our second order, we can make this much more. So maybe we can afford to pay a little more this time in the next iteration of testing. And then a little more next time. To That's what, but it's a, your key word is little, because yeah. if you don't have a lot of cash, you'll go broke very quickly. So sure. you have to, you have to really understand your numbers. And again, you know, I had a guy at my mastermind who built a hundred million dollar direct marketing business. I won't, I won't tell you what it is, but it, it, and it was all direct marketing. And, he spoke to my mastermind about how he built the business and all of that. It was a great story. And we were talking about staffing with the group, you know, how he staffed the company. And he said, you know, when he started his business, he thought for sure the most important employee, he was a marketing guy. So mm-hmm. he didn't need a marketer per se. But he thought the most important employee he'd have to hire would be a CFO, that the finances and the money was going to be the most important. And after he was in the business for like six months, he said, I need somebody to count the money. That's important. But the most important employee I need since I'm the marketer is the uh, analytics guy, hmm. the, analytic, the woman who does analytics. I need somebody Data. who understands the numbers way better than I do so I can do what I do best, marketing, without losing my shirt. And if, you have, if you're working hand in hand, if you're a marketer working hand in hand with an analytics person, or maybe you could be the entrepreneur who is the analytics person. Then you better get a kick-ass marketing person because if you're just going to look at the numbers without a, a, a wider view as a marketer, you need both of those things. And that was a really telling moment for me even because I realized I did it by accident. Mm-hmm. You know, at Boardroom, I had, you know, great finance people who understood marketing, which helped me a bit. But until I got the analytics guy, until I understood how to do regression modeling economically, until I understood how to analyze my results, both in terms of one-year buyers and two-year buyers and lifetime value, until I had all those tools in my toolkit, I was, I was, I was a good marketer. I wasn't a great marketer. Yeah. So that was a big, big lesson. And so the analytics piece is just so critical and you know, you don't have to do it yourself. You just have to be dangerous once you have the numbers. And I was dangerous with the numbers. Not dangerous in terms of spending too much, 
as long as I knew what my parameters were, I knew that I could, I could just, I could, I could nail anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I think that's like one of the, one of the challenges with, uh, with, uh, paid media the way it is today with the, the amount of information you can have at your fingertips on something like Facebook dashboard. Is oh, Google also, AdWords, man, you can Google get AdWords. so much data. It's unbelievable. So much beautiful data, but not everyone is going to agree that it's beautiful data because for a lot of people, they just get overwhelmed with numbers and people who are going to be able to like kind of clean it up are the ones who can understand and play with numbers rather than just be like, okay, this is my offer and I hope it works. Right, um, right. Hoping and praying is not a marketing strategy. It's, it's not a marketing strategy. <laughs> and um, yeah, I know we're coming at the end of the time, but I had so much to talk about. But yeah, I felt know. like I I, um, I went off on some tangents. And Oh, no, not at all. This was, okay. I, I, want, I, w- I was so looking forward to uh, like learning all these little nuances that I knew, like from the reading the book, I get a certain flavor, but talking to you get another flavor. So I, I got to learn quite a lot about uh, drug response and cold, cold media, like cold campaigns and stuff like that right now from our conversation. So, but again, is- going back to that, you, you said it earlier when you said, you know, go, go, go narrow to wide. Mm-hmm. The same thing is true with, with like cold traffic and warm traffic. It's like you go to your, if you have a house file of previous buyers, go there first. Mm-hmm. You know, I know people that because, I think marketing to cold traffic is so sexy and marketing and to hard. existing customers or getting a renewal is not sexy. Well, I'll take profitability over sexy any day of the week. <laughs> um, I like sexy profitability, but sure. you know, I, I just think that it, it's so dangerous to fall in love with, you have to get new business, right? You have to get new customers. That's true. But to fall in love with that at the expense of nurturing the back end of your business, the renewals, the care and feeding of your best customers. It's a crime to, mm-hmm. you know, that that's the reversal. And so, in fact, I have a guy coming on my, uh, to my mastermind this Thursday, my virtual mastermind, and he is an expert in converting call traffic. Mm-hmm. And he's going to give some amazing advice. And I'm going to get into a discussion with him, with the group. About how do you ensure that you do great, that if you do fantastic, as well as you're going to make us do, how do you ensure what happens after that customer comes into your world? Because hmm. that's where you're going to make the big bucks. Yeah. So, yeah, as you like, I wish we had time to talk about that, but that's like part of the, uh, the big part of the puzzle, which is like, yeah, acquisition is one part. You can break even on acquisition. That's great. But it's the, the, the game in some ways, as you said, the second order and the third order and the fourth order, that's where the game is being played. Uh, And the deeper your funnel gets or the deeper your order gets, the more you have the capability to play a bigger game. In yes. business rather than only worry about making profit on the front end. And, and everything, as you said before, everything doesn't have to be a sale either. Mm-hmm. You can lead to a sale and then you can do some other stuff and lead to another sale because there's a lot of content that could be had. And that's where the free content comes. And that's why digital content is, you know, for me, I didn't have digital content when I started. Mm-hmm. Now I sound like the old man at the, uh, <laughs> at, 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 you know, on the beach saying, you know, or the, the old man saying, get off of my lawn or something. But <laughs> I, 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 I love, I love digital marketing. 
I just think it's, but I also, in my book, I talked about O to O to O, online to offline to online. The idea of mixing online and offline media in the same campaign is, is something that most people don't do. And the ones that do are separating themselves. Hmm. Like you have to meet your customer where they want to be met, not where it's most convenient for you. And so, you know, the idea of doing direct mail on the back end of a digital marketing business, it's not even, it's not even a thought, you know, to me. It's, it's, it, in, in many cases, it's a must. Hmm. And it's not a must for most. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, and I want to, I want to kind of uh, give this to people that there's so many great nuggets of wisdom in the book. Like we're just scratching the surface of, uh, oh, of what's in the book right here. Like, you know, you have phenomenal ideas on leveraging other people's hard work to grow the business using premiums and list segmentation and uh, next big thing. And uh, I, and the list goes on. There's so much stuff to learn from the book that uh, anyone who's listening, you go, if you enjoyed this, if you learned uh, something new from this interview, I bet this book is going to like blow your mind. What's uh, what Brian's done with over deliver. So Brian, I want to give you like, uh, give you the stage back and say like, tell us where to find you. Tell us what projects you're working on right now. Tell us how you're helping entrepreneurs with the different uh, things you mentioned the masterminds as well. So tell us all about it. Yeah. So first of all, to get the book, the, the, the play, best, you can go to Amazon, but the best place to get the book is at overdeliverbook.com. Hmm. That site has bonuses. I mean, I, I, I titled the book Overdeliver. What that meant is that I had to overdeliver, <laughs> not just on the book, but on the bonuses. And the bonuses are not just bonuses. They're, you know, there's a, there's eight, there's 19 keynote speeches that Jay Abraham has given on that site. There's, two PDFs of, of out-of-print books on direct mail from two gurus, Dick Benson and Gordon Grossman. There's, um, there's a Dan Kennedy swipe file that is, is exclusive to something he did with me at an event in 2014. There's a swipe file of direct mail packages going back to 1900. And you say, what do I need that for? Well, if you understand direct marketing, Everything old is new again, and there's a lot of things to learn from the great copywriters of the early 20th century. And it goes up to the present as well, that swipe file. There's a, there, there's a PDF of every uh, online newsletter that Gary Bensavenga ever wrote, um, which is, you know, he's the master copywriter, um, just a, and he's still alive, but he let me put all of his online stuff all online newsletters in a PDF in a single PDF. So this site, the overdeliverbook.com site is, I mean, for a $24 book or whatever the book costs on Amazon. So you go to that site and then you click to go to Amazon, you buy the book, it, it tells you what to do. And then you come back to the site, you put your order number in and you get access to all of that stuff. So that's yeah. the best way to reach me, to get, get my materials um, that, that site is, I'm so proud of that site because it, it represents all of my, so many of my mentors. Um, cause I stand on the shoulders of such giants and everything on that site is just something that connects me to one of my mentors. Um, and so it's, it's, it's both a, it's both an incredible value, but it's also very meaningful to me personally. Not that you care about that, but just, say, just saying. 
Yeah. Um, so, and also you, you do get, when you, when you uh, access the page and buy the book, you automatically are added to my list and my list, remember I'm fishing without bait. So my list is not going to annoy you. They're long blogs, but they're all stories. They're all things from my career. They're applications of direct marketing principles. So um, I think people who, if they enjoy the book and they enjoy that site, they'll enjoy my blogs and you're automatically, so then you're in my world and you're in my online family. I try not to call lists lists. I had to do it for an interview purpose, but I call my list my online family and I mm. mean it. And I, I respect my list and my online family. And um, I don't do affiliates. I don't, I don't sell stuff to the list except my own stuff. And it's all educational for direct marketing. So that's my, that, that's my game and I'm sticking to it. Absolutely. And then if you just want to, you know, just want to opt into my list and just, you can go to briankurtz.net. Um, there you'll get access to tons of free content. My blogs going back seven years are on there. Um, I've got, I've got a listing of my mastermind groups. Uh, I have a high end mastermind, uh, for seasoned direct marketers, Titans mastermind. And then I have another group, Titans accelerator, not for juniors. This is not the, that's not, it's not the, uh, it's not the sub varsity, but it's, it's a, it's an incredible group, 250 entrepreneurs, marketers, and copywriters. It's a virtual mastermind. Um, and it's fantastic and inexpensive and incredible value. So all of those is a, a tab that says work with me and you can look at that. And then there's a tab of products on the site at briankurtz.net. And I've got breakthrough advertising. I have another classic by Gene Schwartz, the brilliance breakthrough over deliver is on that, on that page, which you'll go to overdeliverbook.com. I have another book, my first book, the advertising solution that also has that you go to the legendsbook.com and you get, um, another series of bonuses and swipe files and all sorts of stuff, videos of mm. Gary Halbert and that, yeah, Gary Halbert and Gene Schwartz. Um, so that, so that's on, so you, that's on the products and, and work with me, lots of free content. And I, I'm, you know, I'm my business I, saying it all sounds complicated maybe, but it's such a simple business. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, I've, I, I've got mastermind groups. I've, I sell educational materials for direct marketers and I'm just teaching and hoping that people will take the principles I'm teaching. I didn't invent them, but I can teach them and they can take them and run with them and, and go forth and multiply basically. Yeah. That's my, that's my, my, you know, I'm no longer in the trenches, but I'm also, I'm also a member of, of, you know, six different mastermind groups, some of which I pay, a lot of money for. I probably pay somewhere in the neighborhood of one hundred and fifty thousand dollars when when there was travel, and mm. it will be travel again. But one hundred and fifty thousand in mastermind groups. So I because I have to keep up on all this stuff. Yeah. If I don't keep up on it, then I'll I'll be just another loser, you know, <laughs> from the direct mail Stone Age. Right. So um, you know that's that's the game, and I'm in it full time all the time. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I know uh, from everything I've read in the book. There's like so much great stuff in your brain that we're just getting started with unpacking. And uh, um, for everyone who's listening, uh, 
there's so many different levels you can work with, Brian, starting with a book all the way to a very intimate mastermind. So check out overdeliverbook.com, briankurtz.net. Um, I've found tons of value there. One of my favorites there is the boardroom uh, dinners. Um, hopefully yeah, you it's, find that. I, I, I call them intentional dinners, but it was mm-hmm. something I did at boardroom there. That, that's in chapter 10. Chapter 10 of Overdeliver, if, if someone asked me they, on one of these podcasts, they said, what was, if I had to read one chapter of Overdeliver, which one would it be? And I said, well, if, if you're going to, if you're going to, if you're going to be a marketer, probably, you know, chapter four on lists, but mm. if, but probably chapter 10, which is titled playing the long game, which has all these different things that I experienced through my career at boardroom, uh, things like the intentional dinners, the boardroom dinners, things like learning how to, how to be, um, how to surprise and delight people on your, in your online family, in your offline family. Um, I have something in there called Christmas cards in July. That's interesting. I have something on um, just lessons I've learned about being yourself all the time. So you don't have to fake it. You never have to fake anything uh, in terms of, you know, someone's always watching or listening. So you always have to be on your best behavior, so to speak. And so I've got some really interesting things there. It's not a personal development chapter, but I think that stuff in chapter 10 were the things that enabled me to be so passionate about lists, about offers, about the copywriting creative. I have a whole chapter on customer service and fulfillment, which to me is a marketing function. And it speaks to the back end, not back end sales, but back end saved sales and saved buyers. Mm-hmm. You know how much that's worth to your company? I mean, Dan Kennedy talks about it all the time. Um, it's so critical. So, you know, um, I'd like to maybe, I, did, I look at the book now and I cringe sometimes and I wish I'd written it differently. And so I'm going to, I'll probably do a rewrite at some point and add some new stuff that I've done since. And so. I got to say, there's nothing to cringe about in that book from my point of view. It's a, well, it's a legendary book. Anyone who's in direct response has to read that book. And I'm sure when you write, the next book, it won't be a rewrite of this one, but hopefully a new one. Cause that's what I'm looking forward to, Brian. I'm um, looking forward to another one from you. So yeah, absolutely. Thank um, you. Thank you, Manny. Very generous. You've been very generous in this interview to let me go off on m- multiple tangents and no, I've enjoyed every minute off. of it. So thank you. But you've, you've, I have to say you, you know, as an interviewer, you, you identified the key concepts many times as I was talking and it was really interesting when you, you know, when you went, narrowed a wide and you talked about, you know, um, under, not understanding your numbers and how you can lose money very, very quickly. Those are such important concepts. And just that, you know, you're sharing those kinds of concepts with your audience uh, tells me you're doing good stuff. So I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So this is one thing I always say, I'm not a guru. I'm a practitioner, like I'm a guru later, but I'm build like everything that we share from these books, we are applying them every day to build our business. It's not just like I'm sitting in an IV tower, hopefully just reading books and giving you all of that information. I got to believe you might be the smartest man on the, on on the earth that you, (laughs) that you've read all of those books. Oh my God. That's incredible. I mean, I'm a slow reader. I I did a blog post about that, you know, that because there was a, there was a study that said slow readers are better, more are better writers, better Mm -hmm. writers. 
And I like that because I'm a slow reader and I want to be a better writer. So that fit, that fit for me. Right. Yeah, and I'm not a good writer at all. So you're right. <laughs> they, you know, I, I, I got a lot of response and then I, and then I published another blog talking about the responses. Like some people disagreed, some people agreed. Some people were like me and said, great, great. I'm a slow reader. There's so, there's a, there's going to be a benefit to that, you know, but yeah. I, I just, I just, I, I, I've got, I've got just so many books. I mean, I mean, look at that shit. Oh my God. Yeah, man. it's ridiculous. Oh, and I love I'm it. not going to say I've not read, I mean, I've not read every single one, but I, I've opened every one and I've read the table of contents of almost every one. And that was the thing. That's why I think you're, what you're doing is so brilliant because boardroom as a newsletter, what Marty invented was a digest service for mm-hmm. business books because he thought everything that was meant to be known was in business books. Yep. And you've identified that and you've taken it a step further than he did. And uh, I, I believe that, you know, Marty used to say there's like one good chapter in every business book. Yeah. And if you're the guy that's going to tell us what it is, you got the keys to the, to the kingdom. Yeah. Well, I mean, what we do here is we're finding like a few of the few of the ideas that we really like and share them. And hopefully like when people are like, oh, these are some good ideas. I want to go into this book and because it speaks to me, like for someone who is actively doing cold audience targeting or cold advertising, cold media advertising and doing lists and all those things, like basically doing direct response at a very heavy duty level someone who listened to this interview or, you know, reads our summary, they will quickly realize that over deliver is a book that they need to read. Maybe they don't need to read another book, which is on trust-based marketing or something like, it's like different books for different people. Right, Not everyone right. needs to, needs to be like deep into each one of these books, but there are different right. concepts that speak to different people. And uh, that's what is uh, fun about what we do. Like we just, highlight some of the best ideas from the books and let you take it from there as to what you want and what you want to dig, dig deeper into. It's a great model. Great model. I, ho- I, w- I hope you're doing well with it. I wish you luck with it. Um, and I hope what I, what we covered today was helpful to some people who are listening. No, it was super helpful to me. And I, I'm sure it will be to our audience if it was helpful to me because our audience is kind of <laughs> along the same journey. Oh, well, you know, if you, who you're looking for is you, right? So yes. you, you can find your, your audience is, is like you, then you're going to be good friends. Yeah. Yeah. So Brian, thank you very much uh, again. Uh, it's been an honor. It's been a privilege. Uh, I've been Same looking here. forward to talking to you for so long. So it's a dream come true. 